Welcome to the Sermon Podcast of Trinity Church in Carryville, Tennessee, right outside of Memphis. For more information about our church, please visit our website, trinity901.com. As a pastor, I read a great amount, week in and week out, of nonfiction. And so, several years ago, I decided that the best way to consume fiction would be through Audible. And prior to that, I would also rent CDs, dating myself here, from the library when I did not want to buy a particular title on Audible. And sometimes, because I couldn't find it, I would buy a particular work through eBay. And I remember one time I was driving to Louisiana and I had been listening to this this fiction, this tale of fiction for, for many days and it was riveting, it was outstanding, it was wonderful, I was so glad that I bought it. I had consumed about 10 hours of 12 and so made the road trip, listened to hour 11, on the way there, and then the final hour on the way home. And at about the 11th hour, perhaps 11 hours and 30 minutes, the book reached the pinnacle. And it was awful. It was, I couldn't believe the ending of the book. In fact, I ejected the the CD to make sure that I had not accidentally put the wrong CD for the wrong book in. It was so terrible. I had spent 11 and a half hours listening to this wonderful work, and the last 30 minutes, to borrow an expression from my kids, was a raging dumpster fire. And I was so angry about the finish of this book that I got out of my car, walked by the garbage can, and just dropped it. Nobody else needed to listen to that book. I wasn't going to let anybody borrow it. I was never going to listen to it again. I was disappointed regarding the finish. We're coming to the end of Zechariah. And you're going to have the opposite experience. Because the pinnacle of this book involves two main things. War and worship. And it's exhilarating. And it's wonderful. Because as we come to the end in chapter 14, we're going to see the restoration of all things and God's people living in peace and in wholeness, worshiping Him forevermore. And that is the best. That is the best finish to any book that has ever been written. And so we come to our text this morning, and I mentioned this last week as we looked at chapter 11. God is saying to Israel, I'm going to do a new thing. I am going to make a new covenant with you. And it's going to be better than anything that you could possibly imagine. And he has given us hints in the text that this new covenant will perhaps be established 
or it will be established, by the one who rides the donkey into Jerusalem. We all know who that is. And we all know that Christ has brought the new and better covenant. And so, 12, we hit the fast-forward button. The text moves a bit quicker, and we are coming to the end. And what I want us to do is very slowly walk through the text this morning because there are some important things that I want you to see in terms of what Zechariah was saying to Israel and to us. And so look at verse 1. Very significant verse. Thus declares the Lord an oracle of God. And He is the one who stretched out the heavens. He is the one who founded the earth. He is the one who put the Spirit within man, within mankind. And so God is giving us a hint right here in chapter 12 as we're coming to the end of Zechariah that He is going to reconcile Himself to Israel. That He is going to do something great for Israel in terms of this new covenant that has been hinted at. And it is going to be like a new creation. And I think we also see in this first verse the greatness of our God. He is the one who pursues us in love. He is the one that restores the relationship. He is the one who seeks after us. He is the one who cares about us. He is the one who is willing to forgive Israel. He is the one who created the heavens and the earth. He is the one who put the Spirit within us. Trinity, verse 1 alone should move your heart when you think about who God is and what He has done for us with this new creation that we see unfolded in the New Testament in Jesus Christ, this inheritance that belongs to us, this coming wholeness, this coming perfection, this coming victory. It is God who has done this for us and He is great. Whatever you're dealing with this morning, whatever you're facing, whatever is bothering you, know that God is greater than all of that. Your God is great. Verse 2. Actually, we're going to look at verses 2 through 5. The Lord is saying in this passage that war is coming. And when he mentions war, it's not a battle. It's not a minor conflict. The passage is indicating totality and finality. That in order to bring about this new creation, in order to bring about this lasting reconciliation, there must be a final and there must be a last battle. And so the Lord says that Jerusalem to the nations of the world that do not worship God will be a difficult challenge. He says they will be like a drink that cannot be drunk. That they will be like a stone that cannot be lifted. 
that the nations of the world will rally around God's people in order to defeat them in the final day. But they will not be able to do it. Why? Because God is with His people. An encouragement to the people, the Israelites, in the time of Zechariah, an encouragement to God's people today. He is in our midst. He is with us. That's why Lord's Day worship is so important. It is a reminder that when we gather as a church family, that when we gather as God's people, the Lord is in our midst. He makes that promise to us. He reminds us of that in His Word. Not only is He great, verse 1, but He is with us. And we see in this passage, verses 2-5, through that God is going to defend His people. He's done it in the past. And so we see illustrations of what God has done previously. You automatically think of the Egyptians and the Red Sea when you look at this text. And so God is wanting to remind the Israelites that when this final battle takes place, when I defend you, it will be like all the times I have defended you before. We are children, and our loving Father patiently has to remind us of all the great and good things He has done for us. So think about the Israelites. They've returned from exile. They've been called to spiritual renewal. They've been called to rebuild the temple. And it's a mess. Jerusalem is in ruins. They're under the authority of another nation. They have not all returned from exile. They've actually stalled in terms of building the temple. They're afraid of the nations in the ancient Middle East that surround them. It's a daunting prospect. And the Lord is saying, I'm with you. I will ultimately defeat your enemies. I have great plans for you. Commit yourself to what I have called you to do. Well, isn't that a great story for an ancient group of people? But it's the same for us. I've called you to serve me. I've called you to live for me. I have called you to called you to worship me. Your surroundings and your circumstances are difficult and they are challenging. You are facing many issues and many problems. And so God is calling us to remember the past. Remember what I have done for you in the past. Remember how I have been your God. Remember how I have saved you. Remember how I have brought you to salvation. Remember how I've blessed you and protected you and walked with you. Let my word be a comfort to your soul and trust in what I am going to do in the future. I am ultimately going to prevail. I can do this for you, ancient Israel. I can do this for you, Trinity. I am the sovereign and holy God. I am the king of the universe. Nothing is beyond me. And if you look at the text, you see over and over again all the things that he does. Despite Israel's sin, despite their failures, despite their rebellion, verses 
2 through 5 and 6 through 9 are pointing us to everything that God does day in and day out. Remember, don't forget. Six through nine. This is an important passage. On that day, I will make the clans of Judah like a blazing pot in the midst of wood, like a flaming torch among sheaves, and they shall devour to the right and to the left all the surrounding peoples, while Jerusalem shall again be inhabited in its place in Jerusalem. Total victory. The nations of the world who are not willing to submit to the reign and rule of God will ultimately and finally be defeated. God is going to do this for His people. This is how we understand the new covenant. Then, notice in verse 7, And the Lord will give salvation to the tents of Judah first, that the glory of the house of David and the glory of the inhabitants of Jerusalem may not surpass that of Judah. What does that mean? This is one of those things that's hard to understand unless you grasp the context of the book of Zechariah. Remember, they have come back from exile. Remember, they're also a divided people. You had Israel in the north. You had Judah in the south. In rebellion against God, the Israelites were a divided kingdom. And they were taken into exile. And so, returning to Jerusalem, you have division within the family. I'm sure it's something that none of us can grasp or understand. Family division, family problems, family struggles, what? We see it in the text. They've come back to Jerusalem and there's division. Not only is there division between the Israelites in the north and those of Judah in the south, there is also division among the ruling elite of the house of David and those who are without means, who are without power, who are without wealth. And so what this text is saying as a part of the new covenant, as a part of what the Lord is about to do, a result of total and final victory will be that there will no longer be division. There will be wholeness. There will be perfection between the house of David and Judah and the Israelites of the north. Shalom. Completeness. What an unbelievable encouragement to us who day in and day out we experience family problems and family issues and division within loved ones and within our own life. God is saying, for my people, ultimately, for those who are in Christ, I'm going to bring healing. This is part of your inheritance. I am going to heal you. There will no longer be oppression. There will no longer be those familial issues that are just heavy 
on our souls. There will no longer be the struggles that we experience as parents, as friends, as neighbors. It will all come to an end when Jesus stands in victory. And then notice in verse 8. On that day, the Lord will protect the inhabitants of Jerusalem so that the feeblest among them on that day shall be like David and the house of David shall be like God, like the angel of the Lord going before them. And on that day, I will seek to destroy all the nations that come against Jerusalem. God is reminding Israel and He is reminding us in the darkest of hours, I will protect you. You may not understand fully how I am going to accomplish that because clearly Israel did not. But He will because His words are true. And He's told them that all the way back in verse 1. I am the Lord your God, the Creator of the heavens and the earth. Hear my word. It is true. I am going to protect you. I am with you. Incredible confidence for us in 2024. So we come to verse 9. And you automatically ask the question, what happened? Because we don't see in Zechariah and we don't see in the Old Testament that battle nor that victory. In fact, when the Old Testament comes to an end, Israel has what? Failed. They have. They are ruled by another nation and their worship is idolatrous. And it just begs the question, what happened? Well, thankfully, as God's people, we have, as Paul Harvey used to say, again, really dating myself here, the rest of the story. Because we have the New Testament. We have the message of the New Covenant, which it actually does translate to covenant, not testament. The message of the New Covenant, which is King Jesus prevails. So look at Revelation 19, 11 through 16. See, you thought that classes after worship started today on the end times. I'm giving you uh, an appetizer of, of what Reed's going to be talking about in his class. Thank you, Zechariah, for lining that up very well this morning. Revelation 19, 11 through 16. Then I saw heaven opened, and behold, a white horse. White represents purity. The one sitting on it is called Faithful and True, and in righteousness he judges and makes war. Should we be surprised by Hebrew apocalyptic literature in Revelation concerning the end times? Absolutely not. Why? We saw it earlier in Zechariah. 
His eyes are like a flame of fire, and on His head are many diadems. And He has a name written that no one knows but Himself. He is clothed in a robe dipped in blood, and the name by which He is called is the Word of God. And the armies of heaven arrayed in fine linen, white and pure, were following Him on white horses. From His mouth comes a sharp sword with which to strike down the nations, and He will rule them with a rod of iron. He will tread the winepress of the fury of the wrath of the God Almighty on His robe. And on His thigh He has a name written, King of kings and Lord of lords. He enters into Jerusalem on a donkey which represents peace as the greater son of David, as the king. Revelation has said that this will represent God's deliverance. It will represent the coming of the new covenant. And here we see Him now coming on a horse in battle in victory. And so what Zechariah has hinted at in chapter 12 comes to fulfillment in the Gospels and ultimately in Revelation at the end of time when Jesus returns for His people and finally everyone everywhere will submit to His reign and rule forevermore. The coming of the King on His horse in victory means reconciliation, no more division. Shalom. For God's people. That God is going to restore all things to Himself. Zechariah makes that promise. John makes this promise in Revelation 19. And so, Trinity, we come to the text this morning and it it really does three things. Number one, it gives us hope. It gives us hope. God protects us. God loves us. God has not forgotten us. God has a plan. There will be victory. Secondly, it should move us to evangelism. Because if there is victory, then there are those who will be defeated. And it is those who do not know Jesus as their their Lord and Savior. And that should move us. Because we should desire for them the same reconciliation and peace and hope and grace that we will receive. And then finally, it should move us to worship. That there is a God. That He is in control. And that He is coming for His people. Hope, outreach, and worship. All from an ancient text in the Old Testament. Take that to heart. Let us pray. Our Lord, our God, our King, the one who will bring total victory for your people, we praise you. We honor you. We glorify you. May your word be a light to our feet. God, may your word strengthen our hearts for the journey. God, may we have hope 
May we have a greater desire to tell others about Jesus. And may our lives be filled with worship because of all that you have done. It's in his name and for his sake that we pray. Amen.